You are now listening to the Social Selling Podcast. Introducing your host, Daniel Disney. Let this be your playbook for social selling. Learn to paint a vivid picture with storytelling so compelling that they have to click. Build a brand that sticks. So listen up, we're about to give you all our tips and tricks. Let this be your playbook for social selling. Learn to paint a vivid picture with storytelling so compelling that they have to click. Build a brand that sticks. So listen up, Daniel Disney in the mix. They say that your net worth's your net worth, but you don't really know where to start first. No need to stress, learn from the best, every episode after the next. Step away from the ways that we used to sell. Nowadays, emails don't do so well. Cold calls getting wrote off. Oh no. But you can amplify that when you social sell. Daniel Disney will provide. What a guy. The ultimate LinkedIn sales guide. Daniel Disney will provide. What a guy. The ultimate LinkedIn sales guide. Let this be your playbook for social selling. Learn to paint a vivid picture with storytelling so compelling that they have to click. Build a brand that sticks. So listen up, we're about to give you all our tips and tricks. Tips and tricks. Damn, Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Social Selling Podcast with me, your host, Daniel Disney. This show is designed to bring you the latest, greatest tips, tricks, and strategies in the world of LinkedIn and social selling. First of all, I want to say a huge thank you to our two amazing sponsors. First of all, Gong.io, the biggest and best revenue intelligence platform. They help you capture customer interactions across calls, meetings, and emails, understand what's being said in those interactions, and deliver real-time insights that help you win more deals. So please make sure you go and check out Gong if you haven't already, and also Outreach, the biggest and best sales engagement platform out there. They help you drive efficient growth with every single interaction by making every customer-facing rep wildly productive, optimizing customer lifecycle for revenue fit, and collaborating securely at scale. So go and check out Outreach, go and check out Gong. We're grateful for their support. And with that, let's dig in to today's episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Social Selling Podcast, one I am immensely excited for today. I don't think anyone watching or listening to this is not going to know this guest. It is the one, the only, the leader of the sales rebellion, Dale Dupree. And I am so (laughs) stoked to dig into everything that you have achieved on LinkedIn uh, and, and sort of social media over the last few years. I followed you from the very start. You created the Copier Warrior, you built the rebellion and the stuff you're doing now is just insane. You are one of the best. I mean, you're one of the best sales trainers. You're one of the best on LinkedIn out there. So Dale, thank you so much for joining the show today. Dude, thank you. I'll slip you that $100 bill later on for that (laughs) awesome introduction. (laughs) Well, well deserved. And again, I imagine most people watching and listening to this will know who you are. uh, But for anyone who doesn't, make sure the first thing you do after listening or watching this is go and check Dale out. Seriously, Dale, you... Do you know what? One of the hardest things on LinkedIn is consistency. I see so many people build a personal brand, they get some momentum, they get engagement, and then for whatever reason, they just drop off the radar. Maybe they're there for a couple of months. It is not easy building a brand and maintaining it and growing it for years. And you are one of few people who's, who's been able to do that. So I'm hoping in this episode, we can really dig into you know the, the whole process, really. And let's, 
Let's kick this off at the very start. Do you remember when you started using LinkedIn? And then do you remember when you started using it seriously? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because because I got, I think I signed up for LinkedIn in 2012, I want to say 2011, somewhere around there. Yeah. And and it was, I actually got a Facebook around the same time. So I was like the last person in the world to get a <laughs> Facebook account. And, and that goes like t- to my, a side of me that some people don't know, which is that I am not a huge fan of the idea that a social platform could surveil my life. And, and so I was a little freaked out at one point, like, why would I have a Facebook? Like I didn't even go to college. And that was the whole point of Facebook, right? I was like, go on and like hang out with the alum that you went to school with. It was like, well, I was homeschooled number one. And there was 25 people in my graduating class through my co-op. Right. So it's like, I don't even think that they exist on the internet and how would I find them? You know? So, so it was interesting when I got a, when I got a LinkedIn, because it, that one made the most sense to me. It was like, all right, cool. This is kind of like my business landing page, as, as they put it and my resume. And what I found in 2014 and 2015 was that it was also a great place. And dude, I did this on a whim too, right? Like I'll never forget this, that somebody said, oh yeah, the owner's name is so-and-so when I was doing a cold call. And I said, do they have a card? And, and, and she said, no. And I was like, oh, I got to, well, I got to remember that name. And so I pulled out my phone and I wrote the name down in like my notes or my, my calendar somewhere. Right. I, I wrote the name down. And, and after I did that, for whatever reason, I just happened to be on LinkedIn and, and kind of thinking about that person and looking at their name. And I thought, well, I wonder what they look like. Right. <laughs> or I wonder if I can find some of their information on the internet. Like it just like snapped. And, and I did, I looked them up. They had a profile. They were, they were like them with a dog, a hunting dog and a, and a duck that they had, they had shot and killed. And, and, and in Florida, duck hunting is huge, especially well, in this, this part of the Brevard County area is where it was. And, and so boom, instantly I was like, Oh, I know this guy, one of this guy's hobbies. Like I know that he's a, he's a, he's a good old boy, likes to hunt, right? He owns a plastics manufacturing firm. And, and then I slowly started to learn about him through a LinkedIn profile. And then I started to click a little bit. I was like, okay, like, now I realize what Facebook could be used for and social platforms in general. And I actually used LinkedIn messaging to reach out and set an appointment with that guy. Crazy enough. So that was that. like my first sale, you know, selling on LinkedIn back in 2014, 2015. That's amazing. And you know what I love about that, especially in a year like this year, 2020, where virtual selling has just boomed. And as we move into next year and beyond, you know, a significant amount of salespeople will be selling and working remotely compared to before, you know, in the sort of older days, and you and I've both done this many times, you'd go into the office of a prospect. And the first thing you do is you're looking around for those things that you could pick. And that picture of the, the, the prospect with the gun and the dog and the duck, that would probably have been on their desk traditionally. Now, you know, digital virtual selling means you're not in their office, but this is the new office landscape. You can look on their profile, you can look through their activity. And I love that you did that from the get-go because that's that's selling one-on-one and, you know, essentially it's it's social one-on-one. Um, when when did the birth of the Copier Warrior come from? Because obviously your kind of core background is, is selling printers, copiers, etc. And let's be honest, not the most glamorous of things to sell. And, and certainly when you look at the, the sort of traditional reps in that industry, you know, it's a pretty serious space and you created something that was fun, was edgy and nothing like it out there. Where, where did that whole thing come from? 
I was going to say serious is like actually a compliment to the copper industry. Like boring is probably a better way to describe it in general. Not to say that everybody in it is that, but I feel like most everybody in it succumbs to that to some capacity, you know, especially the reps that spend a year and a half, two years in it and get out and think that, well, that was cool. And I didn't really, but I didn't really enjoy it. It's because they didn't get to tap into their authentic self and they didn't get to actually sell a copier, right? Because they were constantly just pressured around this idea of what sales is supposed to be in the copier world when they, they needed to tap into the idea of that what sales truly is, is their authentic self. And the way that somebody buys is that they like and trust the person on the other side of the table. There's 17 other freaking copier companies in my territory that I competed against. So how in the God's name are you supposed to, if you have 17 people calling on you, decide between a copier, right? It's the people that make the difference in those moments. And so when with the, with the copier warrior and the way that I even utilized it was like Twitter was actually... I found that it was a very good place for me to, especially because the media was showing up on it. And this is like a little hack for salespeople out there is that even in 2020, the media is still a massively resourceful spot for you to go to the, your local media. So your local newspaper, your local development commission, your local city, your local municipalities, like they all use spots like Twitter to get out articles, to talk about what's happening inside of their, their cities, the initiative. So like, it's one of those little secrets. We call it, you know, part of the sales wanderer theory inside of the sales rebellion. Um, and we call it the wanderer's backpack, where inside of there, they use tools such as, you know, having a networking relationship or following a media outlet that's local. And, and again, because these people are like knocking on your door and going, hey, can we interview you about your company? And then they put all the information that you'll share on the internet right? Or in the paper at the time. But over time, again, it became Twitter. And so Twitter was where I started. I was on Twitter and I was like watching these media outlets and saying, oh, look at this. These people just want a big Navy contract and you know, just kind of watching and following what was going on. And then I, I noticed on LinkedIn that I could actually tie in my Twitter to my LinkedIn. And I thought, I was like, well, that's interesting. Why is that? And then I noticed that the people that were using Twitter, these media outlets, we're also posting on LinkedIn. And I thought, oh, okay. So that you can put content on LinkedIn. That's interesting. And so then I started tw- I started tweeting because I wanted people in that I was following were doing the follow back thing, right? And so I had like two or 300 people locally that I was following. They were following back. I was like, I mean, they got 50 followers or they're following 50 people. Like I'll probably show up in their feed if I, if I post enough. And so I was putting, you know, 180 character tweets in, into my Twitter platform through LinkedIn. And so that's actually how I first started posting on LinkedIn. And I was signing everything off as the copier warrior. Now the copier warrior was born in 2010. That's when I started developing the brand, right? So it was born a long time ago, but the copier warrior as a social presence didn't really hit that world until 2015, 2016. And, and, and really like in 2012, bro, I had a website, copierwarrior.com. Anybody listening or watching can go and literally see, I still have it up. I have the original website up for everybody to just see like what I did and how I innovated what I was doing, where it was a landing page for me, just like LinkedIn would have been or Twitter would have been or any of the other social site. Right. But, but I was innovating you know, for a long time. But really what, what I think most people miss is that you can't just put everything out on the internet, right? And say like, oh God, I really hope people come to this website. Like what I learned in 2010 up until 2014 was that I had to pursue and hustle that brand as hard as I could to my local community to show that there was relevance, 
to create familiarity so that they would they would be able to tie the two in and say like, oh, that's Dale. Oh, that's a copier warrior, right? And, and also to be able to build a business case for every single person that I was trying to get into the community of, right? So their internal economic system, right? Whether it was with their company or with their group of 300 people that they knew that I didn't know, right? Like inception selling as we like to call it. So, so understanding the internet could tap me into thousands of people and not just like the 50 that I could get to that week. It was like, oh, well, yeah. And, and so that content drip, when that started, that's when people really started recognizing the brand and really started saying, oh, yeah, the copy work. Whereas before, I was like a whisper. I was like a rumor, <laughs> right? Where, where people would, would say, you know, they would even tell my competition was always trying to figure out who I was, right? Because they were like, the copier warrior, uh, who is that, right? And then, and then eventually analytics started to work well. And, you know, I started to use it as my headline on social and everything else to co-brand, you know, outside of just having business cards and all the collateral that I was using to drop off. I love that. You were, you were personal branding before personal branding was cool. You did it pre-social media. And that's, I mean, that's an amazing thing. That is, that is, you know, intuition. That is you looking at the situation, understanding what sales is really about, about that people to people relationship and creating a persona that stands you out from the competition. I love that you did that before, but obviously then what you did was brought it into social media, which then blew it up. And, you know, one of my favorite things, Dale, and I use this sometimes when I do training sessions is that trailer you made, that advert you made, if you walking through that office is one of the best bits of content I think I have ever seen. And I'll try and find a link for it to include in this episode. But that was pure genius. And what I loved about it and what I sort of use it as an example to teach is how creativity is so valuable and how not taking yourself too seriously could be so effective on social media. And what you did was you highlighted all of your customers' common pain points and made a bit of a sum and dance about it, about how you can help them. And it was your brand. It was the copier warrior. It was beautifully done. Has content always come naturally to you? How has been your journey from that first tweet through to the content that you create now that is constantly generating significant engagement? How has that journey through creating content been, being a salesperson to becoming a content creator? Yeah. So I, I started creating content as a kid and my content used to be like, I would make these coloring books essentially. So I would I would create these outlines, you know, and I would have like four, I I did it like comic book style too, because I was way into comic books. So I'd make like a scene, you know, four scenes, I should say, per page. And I would do like six pages or so, you know, I would like take an 11 by 17 sheet and I would fold it in half, you know, because again, my dad was a copier salesman my whole life, right? So, or owned a copier company. So, so I was always around paper and copiers, right? So it was easy for me to also think about this kind of stuff. Like, how do I reproduce things or how do I create something for the masses? Like, it was always kind of drilled into me to some capacity around the fact that that if I wanted to be a content creator, that like I started with this passion around sitting back and tapping into that authentic self and then using you know, that authenticity to, to not just like put it somewhere and hope people read it, but to push it out, you know? So I was always making like multiple copies of these things. And, and it was funny because I would like, you know, draw everything hand done and then I would use the copy machine. I would make a bunch of copies of it. And then, and then back then it was black and white, everything. Right. So it was like, why can't I print in color? Like, well, it's 50 freaking cents a color copy. And that's the cost, you know, for your dad, not, the retail to a customer, right? So I digress. I'm getting a little uh, nostalgic here with this story, but that turned into me like writing short stories. And in high school, like going after like, you know, 
deeper, I should say, into that that space and saying, maybe this is something I would, I'd like doing for a living even. But what really brought it out was my creativity in music and starting to express myself through lyrics with my band that was signed to Pluto Records, eventually Warner Music Group, touring all over the U.S., and, and getting this very real experience around what content also does for people. And so I, I, would, I would be on stage and I would see kids singing my lyrics. And I would go, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and I was always the guy that was like handing them the mic, like, you sing this. You know, because I loved community as well, too. And so I felt like this content creator concept around, you know, the creative mindset in general, right, around community was really the way to make this successful. So, you know, coming from the band into copier sales, I said, well, how do I continue this this passion I have for copy and for marketing and and also translate it into my sales walk? And And man, that spawned all the content that I do today really is that you know, I've been creating it forever. I've been journaling my whole life. I've been, I've been doing all kinds of things, again, like outside of social that were helping me to be better at what I did, but also to enlighten and educate the people in my community about who I really was, more so than just this suit and tie that sold a box, right? And, and so the content side, like getting into, into LinkedIn and, and Twitter in the beginning and LinkedIn, it was really funny. Like if you scroll back to 2016, you'll find my posts. They're not consistent. And they're hilarious. You know, they're like, just did a cold call and got the door slammed in my face onto the next, you know, and then I'd put on the bottom, the copier warrior, right? And it was fun to, to actually go back and reminisce and look at, right? But, you know, sometimes I would even do the cardinal sin and be like, I'm eating cheesy biscuits for lunch. What are you eating? And because it really like, it's all about failing in, in content creation. I truly believe that because I started to recognize like, well, this post just got a million hits where I told a story and I talked about things that maybe they're relevant to me, but really I made it in a way where someone could read it and go, I love this. It's familiar to me. I feel that I can connect with this. I feel like maybe it's my story. And that's where the rebellion really started to take flight inside of the way that we even teach is that like we have a system. Yeah, but our system is to enable others to sell better because what we're really doing is making better people, not better salespeople. And, and so the content side of that, though, is like is really the catalyst because it, with me expressing myself and being able to also understand like basics of neuropsychometry and psychology overall and, and that how a story affects every single person that hears it the same. The outcomes are different. Like you might hear the story differently than the, the lady sitting next to you or the guy sitting next to her, but the way that we receive it is exactly the same. And so being able to sit back and say, okay, so this is how the brain works. This is how it collects data. And then these are the personality types and how they transfer and process the data. I mean, it might sound like a big, bad, you know, science experiment, but it's really basic. It's extremely basic because well, all it is, is it's awareness. And so being able to say like, I'm about to say something that could melt this room because I'm going to talk about my suicide attempt. Right. But also saying to myself, I have to be careful because somebody else in here might have tried to commit suicide. And so if I say it in a way that's disingenuous, if I say it in a way that just gets a shock value out of it, if I say it in a way that a book taught me how to do it because it'll help me sell something, then I'm not saying it right. But instead, if I say it in a way that complements, right, and it's the idea of, of engagement theories and, and speech and, and language theories around 
um, sitting and understanding, again, the awareness of somebody else and a complimentary type of story as opposed to one that just like gets your agenda out there. So there's, there's a whole crap load of theories around this in psychology. Um, and we talk about them a lot in the rebellion. They're boring as hell. You don't want to hear me talk about it now, but that was a long answer to your short question about posting on content on, on, on LinkedIn. Right. But, but I, what I really think people need to understand is that like, there's a difference between people who post content on LinkedIn and people who have been living that content for a long time. And you can always tell the difference, right? Anybody can read your stuff, dude. And they can go, this guy has done these things. This guy has acted this out. This guy is not just telling, you know, something that he feels is right. He believes in this. He knows it to be true because he's done it himself. And he's also not telling me that I have to do it. He's enabling me by giving me information around my own walk to say whether or not, you know, this is something I want to adapt for myself. And, and that's what really truly created my success. And I definitely believe it's what, you know, tapped into your audience. The daily sales was the first like satire for sales that I ever saw. And it was right up my, you know, sarcastic, humorous alley, right? I was like, yes, I can totally dig this. <laughs> So, you know, like it's about that familiarity that we create through content more than anything that, that really drives some kind of result for us. I, I love that. And I just, there's so much to unpack in that, but I really want to focus on one key thing because it really connected with me, something I'm so passionate about, and that is authenticity. And, and Dale, you are by far probably the single most authentic sales voice out there at the moment. And you share stories that go so deep, that go to so many areas. But what I love about what you do and what you just said is that you do it with authenticity. You do it with genuine desire to share, to help, not because you're trying to create content. And I, unfortunately, I'm sure the same, do see people sharing those stories for engagement. They're doing it for likes. They're doing it for comments. They're doing it to try and sell. And that does just remove all credibility. And you're absolutely right. If you're going to share content, if you're going to create content, do it for the right reasons. But I think what I kind of want to just discuss quickly is a lot of salespeople didn't have a content past. They didn't, they weren't content creators from a kid. They weren't in a band. They weren't actors or anything like that. You know, content to them is, is very strange. Do you think that anyone and everyone can and should create content? Because one of the things in sales is salespeople generally are good storytellers. We have to tell good stories to engage our prospects. What are your thoughts on the wider industry utilizing content? Yeah. So I, I'm going to give a, a name out real quick. Cause it's like, this is what comes to mind almost immediately. So Everybody listening to this, go on LinkedIn and look up a kid named Andrew, just like it sounds, Koontz. That's a K-O-O-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, Z as in Zoo. Look that kid up and go and check out his content. And what I want you to notice is that this kid just started posting content. He's not a content king or queen. He's brand new. Uh, like if you look in here, you'll see there's maybe like a dozen posts and his first one was two years ago, <laughs> right? So like he had a, a, a time, just like most of you that are listening right now, where like he put a couple things on LinkedIn. Well, now he's consistent and what he's posting, no one taught him this, right? No, he didn't grow up, you know, writing stuff all the time and, 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 and becoming what he is today, right? Like someone like me in the story I just told. What he's done is he's he has recognized that authenticity that you're talking about and that I was talking about as well, too, in himself and saying, I can express this. I might not be the most literate person. Like, and I'm not talking about Andrew himself. Like, I'm talking about people listening. You might say to yourself, like, I'm not the most literate 
I'm not the best writer. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It's all garbage negativity, right? And then I'm, I'm worried about what people will say. I'm worried that I'll get some hate. Who cares? Tag me in every single one of, of anybody's comments that give you hate, and I will fight them <laughs> on your behalf, right? And that's the, and because the thought, the thought is this, is that you have to do, I used to post crappy content, even though it was something that I lived, right? And that I loved, I loved to write. It was my thing. I loved to think of these elaborate stories. I wanted to be a science fiction novelist. Like that was my thought in my dream. Like this could be so much fun. And by the way, I have every freaking Star Wars book you could ever imagine on my shelf. Like literally all of them. I might be the nerdiest Star Wars person. Any of you know, uh, <laughs> challenge accepted to anybody listening right now. Right. So, but come back to this, to this, the, the, the beginning stage there, which is that anybody can do this. You have to believe in yourself. You have to sit back and say, Hey, no, I will not stand for the negativity. And like, if your passion isn't writing, why try in the first place, right? Is also the, the thought that I have. It's like, why force yourself into doing something that you're not passionate about? But if you can sit back and say, okay, I'm not, I might not be passionate about it, but I believe that my story is worthy, right? I believe that what I've done is unique and authentic enough that it could help people. If you're doing it just to satisfy an urge or a craving or, or kick some endorphins off by seeing that you got a thousand likes on a post, you're doing it wrong. If you're doing it because you want to build community, because you want to, you want to create relationships, you want to choose legendary, you want to be a rebel inside of the, 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 the sales world or inside of the, the marketing world or inside of the finance world or whatever it is that you represent. If you're thinking from the perspective of a movement, of, of, of encouraging people through this ideology of telling your tale, then you're thinking the right way. And that nothing you write will flop because people will read it and go, yo, this is really poorly written. And I've never read something this amazing is what will happen when people read that. I, and Daniel, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've probably read some things like that. We've been on LinkedIn for a long time. I've seen it a million times where I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to send them some a message and give them a couple of tips. But that was an amazing post. I, I, I am connected to them in this moment. Oh, I do that all the time. But I am also that person. Like I make mistakes all the time. And I remember people would, I like in the early days when I first started writing articles on LinkedIn, there would be spelling mistakes. There would be errors. And I would get messages from people. There'd be two types of people. The nice ones that would send me a message saying, love that article. Notice this spelling mistake, you know, might help for the next time you write something. Then I'd get the other people that would say, there are two spelling mistakes in this article. I can't take it seriously. <laughs> and, you know, there are going to be trolls. Um, yeah, that's it. And water off a duck's back. You got to let it shine. A lot of these people, you know, they have their own problems to, uh, to worry about. Um, yeah, man. how, I mean, you and I have been on LinkedIn for quite a while now, and I'm sure like me, you've seen it change quite a bit. A lot of the core fundamentals are the same, but obviously there are new features, new, you know, formats of content. You know, how has that changed? How have you ridden that wave? How have you adapted? Because some people, don't like change. They get scared of change. They just want to do what they always did. Um, how have you ridden the wave of LinkedIn and kind of where do you see it going over the coming years? Yeah. I mean, I, to me, it's like, it was a great outlet. And if it stays the way that, that, that it did from the perspective of its often its own authenticity, because bro, it is like the only social platform where you can go and truly get business insights from people that have really done things to become super successful. And it's not fluffed, right? Because it's organic. And so it's not, there's not paid reach, you know, uh, or massive amounts of it, I should say, like in Facebook and Twitter and 
It's saturated in those places. It's saturated on Instagram. It's everybody and their mom uses some kind of click funnel, right? To, to tell their story, but you could just click on 1300, hit see more and read 1300 characters from a CEO telling you something that you need to know. And, and to me like that is dude, that there is something special about that, that will, that will never, ever, ever be able to be replicated by any means, like we will always remember these times, you know, and, and even if things change and the organic reach gets choked and, you know, whatever happens, right? Like it happens because here's the thing is that it, the, the, the platform is what you make of it. What I've made of it is that I'm almost at like 50,000 followers right now. I've de- declined tens of thousands of, of requests because they weren't people that, that were, you know, fit in my wheelhouse or part of my tribe. Maybe a lot of them were bots or spam at some point. So even in that 50,000 connections, I only have like 12,000 direct connections. And, 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 and so the rest are just hitting follow, you know, and, and either they're reading it or they're not. And I'm hoping that, you know, LinkedIn is deleting all the, the fake profiles anyway, I hope at least. Right. So like at some point, those things will weed out as well too. But in my mind, I see 50,000 people that are, that are watching my content that I'm helping more so than anything else. And so LinkedIn will always be a place where I go to help people. But LinkedIn has always helped me massively. I quit my job in 2019 and started the sales rebellion and 90% of what we sold over the course of the first year of business was right off LinkedIn, right through content. And, and in 2020, this year, it's been about 70% or so, but it's still high. Right. And, and that's the point, you know, and like everybody keeps talking about like, Oh, the algorithm's changing and Oh, you know, all these new features suck. And like, who cares? Like stop paying attention to the semantics that you don't control and that have zero effect on your, on your, on your actual outcomes. Right. And recognize that, a little bit of change is definitely necessary in these moments. You know, so like I've, I've changed the times that I post over the last couple months. Yeah. I post a couple times a day sometimes instead of just once like I normally do just because for no other reason to just to do it. And again, it's, it's about that idea of like getting a little bit uncomfortable because if you're in, if you're complacent and, you know, in the zone, you're not really, you're, you're in a place where there is no risk. And so there's no reward. And that's why it's, you know, you're not getting anything. Like I have not seen any effects of, the algorithm choke as people keep calling it. Like I had some posts not do as well as others, right? Like, but that's just normal. Like that's just bad content on my part and I got to get better, right? It's as simple as that. So, so for me, it's like in the, the future of LinkedIn is, is that it will always have these moments. Like this friendship was born through LinkedIn between the two of us. And so like, I'll always remember that. I'll always be able to come back to LinkedIn in my heart and say, this was a great place. And so it'll always play a role in my life because of it to some capacity, even if I'm not, you know, at 80 years old posting on it anymore. <laughs> hey, you never know, Dale. <laughs> at that time, we'll both be probably the same age, retired. We'll do another episode reflecting. But I really like, you know, kind of how you've put that. I mean, not only the amazing business that you generated from it, but the, I love the algorithm bit because there are a lot of people that will complain, oh, the algorithm's changed. My posts aren't getting reached. And you are right. Most of the time, most of the people that say that, it's because they're content's not great. And there are still, it's like the salespeople. And I've had this in my teams over the years where they'll come up to me and say, oh, our prices are too high. Something's wrong with the economy. We can't sell. And my instant reaction is, but there are three other people in the team that are smashing their targets right now. And it's the same on LinkedIn. You can complain about the algorithm, but there are still people. I mean, Dale, your, your engagement's through the roof and you know it's always consistent. And you and I, the same, yeah, we will have posts that don't do as many you know, likes and, and comments as some of the others. And that is, as you say, how LinkedIn goes. Same in sales. You're going to have great months. You're going to have not so great months. It's all 
a roller coaster. Um, one of the things I had someone come to me recently and say, oh, Dan, what are you going to do when LinkedIn becomes pay for play, when it becomes Facebook, when it becomes Instagram? And one of my reactions was, A, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. I don't have all my eggs in one basket. If that was to happen, I'm ready to maneuver, adapt, change like that. But one of the things I was thinking about is LinkedIn's different to those. They have, they already have a pay for play model in their upgraded accounts, Navigator, Premium. So they're generating revenue already. Unlike you don't have that on Facebook, you don't have that on an Instagram. So yes, it may go down that route, but I've got this feeling if it is, it's not going to be for a while. They don't have that requirement to do it as quickly as the other social networks. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, let's be honest. I think they've said there's so there's 750 million plus users, right? And I think they've said that somewhere between 15 and 30 percent of of the users on the platform have premium, right? It's like 59 dollars. Like even if you took the small number of 15,000 people paying 50, you know, or 15 percent of 750 million people paying $59, they are making so much money and they're Microsoft. They don't need it. Facebook needed to, to, to charge people to play in their algorithm because they needed to become billionaires in a publicly traded company. LinkedIn is the opposite. It has the opportunity to be something for a very long time for a lot of people. You know what's amazing, Daniel, that nobody even talks about though too, too is that like right now, we're in a season right now where there's a ton of people getting into LinkedIn for the first time, right? And this happens every year. It's so much fun to watch. And they'll post things like, you know, their their views on their profile. They'll be like, look at what's happened. I've got 2,000 followers after six months of posting. And it's so exciting to watch that because I remember when I had 750 followers and I woke up one morning, posted content, and in the afternoon I looked at it and I was like, I have 900 notifications. I have like 4,000 followers in one day. And, and, and really what we didn't recognize back then that I do now and I have for a while is that when you first get on LinkedIn, they reward you. They say, hey, you want to post content? Do it. See what happens. And, and you want to post content that's authentic, not a share, not 10 words. You, you want to tag some people in the comments. You want to put good hashtags. You want, to, you want to create things that are worthy of being on the platform and that bring true value to others will reward you. And that's what's happening right now. And, and see, and that's what you were saying earlier too around like people come and they go, right? Like I went through at one point over the last six months, I went through, it took me for freaking ever, by the way. I do not recommend this. But I went to some of my oldest posts and I basically pulled out, you know, even the posts that had, you know, two to 10,000, you know, likes or comments on them, you know, that had hundreds of thousands or millions of impressions. I just went through and saw like who was actively engaging. And I noticed that about 30% of my network from back then still engages with me today. Wow. And that's a crazy thought, dude, that like suddenly I have a 70% role of brand new people watching my, my content. But here's a crazy thought, dude. And this is like what you said earlier. And this is what I think people really need to be focused on. LinkedIn does not own your success. It is not also not your existence either. And so I ran into a person uh, when I was on the road recently that I had just said like, hey, I'm in town. Let's, let's hang out. Basically, you know, they were an old LinkedIn friend, right? And, and they, they said, yeah, you know, I deactivated my account so long ago, it feels like, you know, and they said, it feels like I haven't seen your content on there in forever. But, but they said, I still follow you. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, I still, I go to the website every once in a while. 
I go to your YouTube channel because my kids are on YouTube all the time. And so I just, I check it out when I'm on the, on their laptop. And like the thought of being able to impact someone so greatly that they stick, they stick around in a different way. That's what people need to be focused on. They need to be focused on their legacy. They need to be focused on how they're actually building a kingdom, a community, how they're actually going about taking on the status quo, the mediocre, the thoughts that are negative about, I can't post content because I suck. LinkedIn's algorithm is terrible. Why is it changing? This is, this is dumb. I'm getting off of it. Get rid of those thoughts and understand that every single interaction, every single post, every word, your attitude, your intentionality is what will really create the success that you desire. LinkedIn has nothing to do with it. They're just part of the story. Yeah, they're the, they're the machine. Get rid of ego, focus on impact. Dale, I absolutely love that. And I'm behind it all the way. Don't worry about the likes and comments. Think about helping people. The fact that you could impact someone who had stepped away from LinkedIn, but was still thinking about you, that's huge. And, you know, I mean, you've obviously demonstrated the amount of business you win from LinkedIn. That's all through people that you're impacting. And, you know, it is an amazing tool. Dale, honestly, you've shared some amazing insights. I think, I mean, I know we could talk for hours and hours. Um, I honestly can't thank you for what you've shared in this episode. We've got to call it a, call it a day now to keep these within their sort of time constraints. But honestly, this has been fantastic. Everyone who's watching and listening, listen, learn, absorb and apply and make sure you're following Dale. Check out the Sales Rebellion. Um, honestly, I mean, the content you put out, the stuff that you, you are doing and helping salespeople is inspirational. And, you know, I know your legacy. I know your dad's legacy. I know everything you're bringing to the table, Dale, is changing sales already and will continue to change it for years to come. Uh, it's an honor to call you a friend. It's an honor to have you on the show today. Um, and I can't wait to see everything you've got coming up in store next year. But thank you so much for uh, for joining in the episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, Dale. And um, yeah, just a, a quick sign off from you to the, to the watchers. Yeah, man. I, everybody watching and listening, man, I appreciate everybody out there for all the support of the rebellion. Remember, first and foremost, that this is not my rebellion. This is ours. This is yours. That sales for so long has been ruled by the mediocre, by the status quo, by the people that are telling you what you need to do to be successful. But all along, it's been right here, right inside of us. Tap into that. Tap into your inner rebel. Don't take my word for it either. It, you know, use your community and use the people around you to motivate you and use the rebellion if that's necessary as well, too. But remember that it's you that makes up, you know, the change that we need inside of our industry. And Daniel, dude, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate your friendship. I love you a lot. And, and I'm, I'm grateful, man. I, I, and I love LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn because it brought us together. Right. And it gets and it, it allows me to see the daily sales tips. Although I will say pro tip, if you really want to see good daily sales tips content, get on Instagram. That's where like that's where you can really see good daily sales tip content. <laughs> very, very true. Dale, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Damn, Daniel. 